into their water fountain that came out of the gates of hell, which was a mountain range right in the very north. And it's kind of a red, ugly looking mountain area, not that high, but they built two, uh, two temples there to Apollos, their water god, and they would take babies and cut their throat and let the blood spill into the water. And if it changed, they'll keep spilling the blood until the water became pure. And that would be that Polis would be satisfied with a sacrifice, so it keeps applying water from the ground. And the Jews hated it. The Jews hate the sacri- human sacrifices completely, and they didn't like the Canaanites at all. And so when a Canaanite woman from that vicinity, she wasn't in that area where the gates of hell were, she was closer towards Tyre and, and Sidon. She lived in that area. When she heard that he was there, she came there crying out, Lord, son of David. Son of, what does it mean to say son of David to a Jew? Well, if someone recognizes that he is, this, well, he was a son of David with natural lineage, but also of someone of great importance spiritually and physically. But where would she know that? She's a Canaanite. Why would she say that? She obviously had some regard for the Jewish nation. She asked for mercy, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. What do you know about demon possession? You are a demon nation full of Canaanites who don't know God. How could you differentiate between demon possession? She must have somehow been interacting with Jews of some kind or Christians because she had become familiar with what demon possession looked like and her child was seriously manifesting and suffering. And she must have heard about him, but she made a real effort to go find him when she heard he was in the region because she must have heard somehow who he was and what he does. Jesus did not answer a word. Now, I know you can't relate to that because whenever you pray and ask God for something, he always answers you right away, right? And you recognize it. He answers you right away. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she is crying out after us. Jesus told his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So his task was, by his own confession, to bring this new kingdom to the Israelites. They would receive the kingdom message from his followers, his disciples. It was their job to do it, take it to both into Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But it wasn't their time. Now it was filled first for the Israelites. The focus was on them. And that's what he said. I was sent on to the lost sheep of Israel. The lost sheep, no less. Not just sheep, but the lost sheep. Woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That has become a world-known remark. Just that you understand what the word dogs mean doesn't mean that she's of less value. It means to a Jew or to a spiritual person, dogs are outside of the kingdom. Revelation talks about the dogs outside of Jerusalem. They don't belong in the New Jerusalem because dogs are unbelievers. If you dream about a dog trying to bite you, it's usually a backsliding spirit because dogs return to its vomit. Dogs also have multiple partners. You got quiet in that place. If you're a believer, you should not be a dog. Whenever well. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. When she said that, 
What she was saying was, I acknowledge who you are, what you are, what you have, and I realize I'm unworthy, but even what's left, even what spills over, it's going to be more than enough for me. She had such, such confidence. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Only twice did Jesus use the phrase great faith, and both were unbelievers. Both were non-Christians, non-Jews. One is a centurion in Capernaum. And I wondered what got them to that place of great faith. Because here's my, here's my concern. pastor was praying for someone tonight, or actually not praying. We're not called to pray for the sick. We're called to heal the sick. He was ministering to her, releasing healing power on her. And just that you know, Scripture says that he could do no great thing because of unbelief in the area. So there has to be a faith atmosphere, no question. You understand, faith's very important. The difference is you don't need a lot of faith. I always thought you need to have a lot of faith. Jesus said to his disciples who asked to increase our faith, he said, you don't need more faith. You need no doubt. If you have faith as a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, a very tiny, minute little piece of, of faith, and in your heart you doubt not, it will happen. You can say this tree be uprooted and cast and be exactly what you say. Boy, that say thing keeps coming in. We keep hearing about what we speak. We're, thank God we've only one mouth, even though we've got two nostrils, two eyes, two ears, two, two, everything two but one mouth. One mouth gets me enough trouble I can't imagine two. One mouth. We've got to control that mouth. We've got to get that mouth to say the right stuff. Because definitely, if you say to the mountain, you can't think it, you can't hope it, you've got to speak to it. There's got to be a volume of sound somehow. You've got to speak to your sickness, you've got to speak to your symptom, you've got to speak to your situation. Now listen to me carefully, because I began to puzzle in my heart. This woman was, according to Jesus, not entitled to a miracle. So what entitles us then to a miracle? Well, we are born again, we belong to him. He said, my sheep. Know my voice. I was sent only to the lost of Israel, the ones that are belong to my household, but the lost. That's who I was sent to. So really, this is for them. This, what I have is for them. So if you are God's sheep, then surely what God has is for you. You have a right to ask. But what if you're not? What if you're not even a Christian or go to church and you need a miracle? This woman was looking for a miracle. He said, I can't give you a miracle because you're not entitled to it. I have to give this to the, to the children of God. She didn't stop. So she still got a miracle, even though she didn't qualify. What if you're such a messed up drug abuser, user, such a bad wife beater? What if you come out of jail? What if you're such a bad person and haven't even repented? Can you still have a miracle? Well, if she got a miracle, why can't you? What made the difference? What actually turned that miracle loose? It was her faith. Another woman who was actually a Jewess, she didn't even ask Jesus to be healed. She'd spent 12 years suffering, and she said to herself, if I can just touch his garment. And then when she touched his garment, she felt the power. He felt the power of God. It wasn't like he was anticipating it to happen. Whoa, what happened here? Someone had the ability to release power out of me without my permission. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, everyone's touching you. That's just so frightening to me that you can touch Jesus and get nothing. She wasn't even touching him. She didn't even touch him. She was touching something that was touching him. And he said to her, your faith, not my garment. He didn't say, how did you know that part of my garment so anointed? He said, he didn't say that. He said, your faith has healed you. 
something, what made her touch the garment was a connection. What made her feel that will connect, connect me. It was a faith that released the power. So now I'm after this. How can I get that faith to work in my life? How does that faith actually generate? What must I do? And I found out that we do have faith. Romans says we have a seed of faith. We really have faith, but it's not the lack of faith. It's the amount of unbelief or fear that the enemy keeps programming us or we expose ourselves to, and it pollutes. You only need one little pollution in the perfect faith to mess it up. And the devil, the first time he ever spoke in the scripture, the first time he spoke, he could have said so many things to Eve. You know what he said to her? Did God really say, is that what God said? Are you you sure, girlfriend? Are you sure? And she quotes the scripture. She quotes God's word wrongly. She says, God said, if you eat or look at the tree in that day, you will surely die. No, he didn't say that. You go, you can, you can look all you want, girl. Just don't eat it. Where'd you get the idea from? Look, I don't know. I thought he said, no, he didn't say that. If you don't know what God's word said, you're not as powerful as as you can be. When you know God's word, you got, you're like Jesus when he said to the, it is written. The devil didn't argue. He didn't say, are you sure? I think you must put, he just, there was no argument. He said, it's written. It's over. The devil has no power against God's word. Do you understand? You've got to know the word. You've got to know, become a word junkie. Get the word in you. Now, this woman is not even a believer or a Christian. And I, I want miracles to happen for me too. I want a supernatural. So she got it. Well, well, how did she get that? How did she get to that place where he said you have great faith? How did that centurion get to have great faith? Well, he was in Capernaum, and he, Jesus was doing all those miracles. He'd heard so many reports. He began to become a believer in his heart. He knew that Jesus could do this, even though he wasn't a follower. That's why he said, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. He recognized the authority and the power Jesus had. He said, I'm a man of authority. When I tell people to go, they go, and, and I'm under authority. So just speak the word. He said, wow, in all of Israel, not seen such faith. And this woman, who's not even an Israelite or a Roman, no exposure that we were aware of, but she had something she must have heard somewhere. She was expecting. She came to Jesus. Completely sure something's going to happen. She didn't bring her child. She didn't open a roof to lower a, a body through a person, sick person through the roof. She didn't try and beg and plead. She came without the kid because all she needed was to make a connection. She had such confidence in who this is. She'd heard. She'd heard the son of David was doing miracles and she knew her child had a, had a need and she's going to make some effort. She didn't just take, get in. We don't even want to come to a meeting. It's too inconvenient. We'd rather watch, some watch TV. But she got, she didn't get in a car. She didn't have a bus. She didn't have a train. She walked miles to find where Jesus was and took, made a real effort because she wanted her child to be fixed to be healed. She wanted a child to be helped. And she obviously couldn't do it any other way. Same as a woman that was bleeding for 12 years. She'd been to every doctor she could. She tried all she could. There was nothing else left for her. I can just touch the hem of his garment. And he's moving with an enormous crowd. He's moving to go help Jairus. Jairus is a, is a leader of the Israelites and or of the Jewish temple or the Jewish synagogues. And so He's a leader and he understands God's principles and now he gets word because now he's talking to this girl so long, she's telling the whole story and, and this, don't worry the teacher anymore, Jairus. Your daughter died, I'm sorry. And Jesus stops immediately. He said to us, and that was fascinating, Jesus did that. He turned to Jairus, don't fear. Because when you hear those negative words, fear hits you. I've watched people in a doctor's room, they talk and play with kids and then suddenly 
When they called in and come out, they're a different person. What happened? You were sick going in? How come you come out looking like you're death? Because someone told you something. They gave you diagnosis. You heard some words. You heard words. Always, always those words. Always those words. And the world wants you to see words. Abraham faced the fact that he was old and dying, but he didn't wave an unbelief. He faced the fact, but he didn't wave an unbelief as he knew God had the power to do what he said. God can do what he says. And either he's a healer or he's not. Either he's a miracle worker or he's not. Many of you are meant to be wealthy, but with a little bit of money you had messed, messed you up already, so God says you're too valuable, I'm not going to give you money because I don't want to lose you. <laughs> don't like what I'm saying, do you? Money's not a problem for Jesus. <laughs> he sent money to Peter, go, there's a fish with, with a coin in it. He's carrying a coin in his mouth waiting for you. Peter going, oh yeah, that happens to me all the time. God has your supply in the most bizarre way you can't dream, but he can't supply because you're not even faithful with little you have. He's always, the two things God will always test you as long as you live on this earth in relationships and in finances. Tithing was never meant because God wants to support the church. He can make manna from heaven. He doesn't need your money. But my tithing is for our benefit to keep us in the place of discipline that we will bring his tithe to the storehouse as he promised. Seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He promised us. It wasn't a Jewish way or an Old Testament. It was long before there was any testament. Abraham initiated with faith. You're not going to have faith without any kind of tithe. You can't separate the two. And if you, do, if you want to still debate about net or brute or tithe, keep it. But you don't really want to give it. You're not a joyful giver. God doesn't love miserable, depressed givers. He can't stand it. Keep your money. I don't need your money. You're the one that's losing. I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I have a right to tell you. 36 years I've lived this life. My wife's sitting right here. She'll tell you that she's seen miracle after miracle after, and it's never the same. Never the same. She's seen God. There's one thing she's learned that God will not let, leave us without supply, ever, ever. Under any circumstances. We've been, she, had, she had cancer some years ago, and I just stopped working. God sent the money from every corner you can imagine. I didn't ask anybody for anything. God just did it. Because God's not broke, poor, or cheap. He's El Shaddai, not El Chipo. I'm telling you. I'm extravagant, but not wasteful. Jesus was, said, have them, let them as much as they want. Feed them as all they want. But then gather what's left. Don't waste it. He wants you to have everything you want, but doesn't want you to waste. And if you want to gather stuff... And if you find your identity in what property you have, then he's not going to give it to you. One thing you lack to be perfect, he said, you've got to sell, give everything away, and then, then follow me. Don't bring it to me. Give it away. Come without the identity. Come with your dependency upon While you still have a dependency, while you still have a, an identity with something else, you're not going to need me as much. <laughs> now, when I can see that your heart is totally mine and that stuff's not important to you, you can have all you want. You can have all you want. And he'll keep testing to make sure it doesn't ever get a hold of you. So I'm telling you, God's not broke. The wealth of the ungod is still for righteous. That's why the righteous Christians don't, don't prosper more because they're not faithful little things. You've got quiet in this place. Yeah, he didn't design you to be poor. He said the poor will be among you, not some of you. That's what he said. Why would the poor be among you? So you can minister, minister to them. You can't give to them you don't have. You can't take care of them if you don't have. 
So he wants them among you so you can minister and show his love, express so they can give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what he said. But if you don't have it, you can't give. You're always whining you don't have it. Why don't you have it? Because you're not faithful with the little he's given you. And we in America are seriously guilty, especially with credit cards. Lord, have mercy, help us. We get cards in the mail we didn't ask for. And eventually we start spending money we don't have on things we didn't need. God help us at Christmas. We have a return policy because we buy junk that nobody wants. And we buy so much because we have to be compelled. How foolish is that? We're not, it's not wise. We've lost the blessings of blessing. We've lost the, the idea of what God intended. We've got to get back to the, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, make things the way that God intended them to be. The rules of man haven't worked. Hollywood's become our thermometer. Hollywood have become our morals, moral standards. They tell us how we should think. They sort of put out those movies and start reprogramming us. You got awfully quiet in this place. <laughs> I'm very tolerant and full of grace and mercy for everyone struggling, but I'll never put up with same-sex marriage. Never, never, never. Hate me if you much, but I'll never put up with it. Never. And how, we, and how we got there was Hollywood helped us. Already in the 70s, full house. Full house. All these men with children raising, reconditioning you that it's not, it's not abnormal. Little by little, they began to piece by piece condition until it finally just transitioned in our nation and it's, it's okay. It's like it's normal. You can't even watch a regular family show without them pushing it in our face. Every commercial, everything they possibly do because it's like we the bad guys. Are you hearing me? That's just one issue. They're trying to recondition everything in our lives, but we are the moral compass. We're supposed to be God's word is the only platform that works. All the others have not worked. You can see the chaos it caused. It may not be always pleasant to the flesh, but the end product is always healthy, wholesome, and godly. Are you hearing me? That's what made this nation great, was the foundation that was set for us in God's system, God's way, God's plan. Look how things are already changing, how that our governor does, uh, wants Christianity back in schools and how that the, Alabama's banned abortion completely, how that there's, there's definitely in the hearts of the American people, they want what's right. And there's a complete out, uproar every day, every day. And I'm from another country, so I'm, a, I'm an implant here, and I'm shocked that every single day they fight man who's doing such good for the country, they beat him up every single day. Why? Because he stands for righteousness. They don't even put on, you know, on the TV his speeches. You have to see it in Facebook when he mentions God. And he mentions God a whole lot. Yeah, so if you don't like him, get your attitude straightened out. Because God sent him to you. God gave us a president that will fight for us. I'm telling you. Now, getting, back, getting, getting back to prosperity, God wants you to prosper. God wants you to have, and he wants you to have whatever miracle. If you don't have faith, you can't expect the people around you to have faith. If you don't walk in faith, if you're not living and, and learning about faith every day and renewing your mind every day, because that's where the, ta the tax are in your brain. The Canaanite woman came all the way there expecting something supernatural, expecting God to do it. She wasn't leaving. She wasn't. He was ignoring her. It's not fun to be ignored. Send her away. Now, I can't pay attention to her. I'm here for the Jews. I can't pay attention to her. And then he tells her to her face, you ain't getting it, girlfriend, because you are a dog. You're an unbeliever. You don't belong. But even the dogs, even us unbelievers get the crumbs. I know I'm not worthy, but I'll take whatever's left because that'll be more than enough. And he was so impressed with that. So impressed. 
And if we can just get that happening for us, we want to always qualify. The devil tells you when you're praying, if you can attack your faith, you know what he does? He tells you, you don't deserve this. You know what you did. He starts to accuse you and put shame on you and guilt on you and trying to wear you down. And he's, a, he's accused of the brethren. That's his ministry. All day, every day, he's accusing you to God, accusing God to you, accusing your brethren, one to, accusing you every day how bad you are, just in case you'll believe. Just in case you'll believe that God would do that for you. The young, a man brought his 12-year-old to be healed, a miracle. He came there with every intention, heard all these miracles that were happening, so maybe Jesus could heal, heal my kid. And then he meets his disciples. Are you, are, you, are you with Jesus? Yeah. Would you mind? My kid is so sick. He's 12. He's epileptic, seriously ill. I mean, he's almost killed himself so many times. Could you help? And they're praying, praying, praying. Eh, not working. Uh, and the Pharisees are going, well, they begin to debate why. And Jesus gets it. Well, what's all this talk going on here? He says, well, I brought my son to be healed, but the disciples couldn't. You unbelieving generation, bring me the child. And as the child gets near Jesus, he begins to manifest with that demon of epilepsy and on the floor, writhing, rolling arms, foaming at the mouth. You know what Jesus does? So how long has it been like this? That's what he did. Uh, since he's a boy, he turns on the fire and into the water, almost kidding himself. If you can do anything, please help. No, no, you didn't. No, you no, you didn't say if I can. It's if you can believe all things are possible. He's having this whole debate and conversation. The child's on the floor writhing. He's asking questions that he knows the answer to that he could have asked later, but he's more interested in reaching the hearts of the people than delivering this child right away. And he casts that devil out. He does heal him. There's no question with that. He gets healed. But he says to the father, says, if, if you can, if you can believe all things are possible. The father says, I do believe Help my unbelief. Well, where did you get unbelief from? Well, after the disciples couldn't do it, they started talking why he wasn't healed. And I began to wonder, now what's really, you see, you're exposing yourself to all that other humanistic human talk. If you want faith, you've got to get yourself full of the word. The devil's fighting you every day, all day, to try and get fear and doubt in you, to try and make you doubt. Look how he tried with Jesus. You know, if you go, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off the top. Come on. He knows he's an angel's going to catch you. He's going to quote scripture. He'll even quote scripture to you. Why? Well, God gives and God takes and God might be teaching you a lesson through your sickness or God's actually going to use us someday, one day for his glory. He wants that child to be perfect and healed. If you can believe, if you can believe, you can have it right there, right now. Whatever you believe for, you can have it. Even a fig tree withering is no problem for Jesus. He can do it just like that if you can believe. And now your faith under constant, listen to me, daily attack from morning to night. Now, pastor quoted to that lady, he said, with an expectancy, which is hope. You have to have hope. You'll never have faith without hope. Hope is a positive expectancy. You, always, you can never lose hope. You always have to have hope, always. That God can. God can. While there's a God in heaven, no matter how bad it looks, always hope. Always hope. Now, hope is the beginning. And, of course, Abraham, against all hope, in hope believed, we read in Romans 4, he believed, even though there was no hope anymore, because when you're young and, you, and you're married, you look at that little thing, you test and you see if your hoping's going to change color, so you're going to have a baby. But when you get to our age, you're hoping, please God, no, please God, no, may it not change. You, they, you pass that stage. You pass a stage and you're not hoping anymore, but he'd reach that stage and then some because his friends already were grandparents. He wasn't hoping for kids anymore, so pass that but he, against all hope, in hope believed. He was fully persuaded God had the power to do what he said. He wouldn't let unbelief hit his, hit his heart because the devil was messing with him all the time. He was going to believe what God said. 
Do you understand what I'm telling you? Now, the funniest thing is that he took so long, God doesn't hurry. God never hurries. And so his wife is feeling very depressed because now the word's out. So she encourages Abraham to have a son with a servant. And of course, Ishmael's born. Big problem. When you don't wait for God's way, do it God's way, do it God's timing, you end up with an Ishmael that everybody's going to struggle with the, with the bombings and the, the, all the different Muslims all came from Islam, came from Ishmael, fighting for his birthright. He builds a mosque right there where the temple's supposed to be, fighting for his first birthright. That's what he is. He's the son of the servant, wants his birthright. And then Abram, Abram, which I'm going I'm to get in his face one day and say, did you ask God to bless that man? Because he did. And God said, okay, okay, Abner, I'll, bless, I'll bless Ishmael. He'll be like the grains of the sand, so plentiful, and he'll be stubborn as a mule and always at war with his brothers. Thank you, Abraham. That's what happened. That's in the word. I didn't write that. It's in the Bible. Read it. And that's exactly how it is, right? But then he's 99 years old. 13-year-old boy, so proud of Ishmael, seems like a good kid. Angel comes and says, Abraham, you can have a son. Uh, yeah, yeah, here he is. No, 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 you can have a son with Sarah. <laughs> he laughs. Everyone always talks about Sarah laughing, but Abraham laughed too. He said, well, I want, there's two things you've got to do. What's that? Well, you've got to circumcise all the males. That includes him, 99 years old. 99 years old getting circumcised, Hello. And then you've got to change your name. Yeah, what's wrong with my name? Well, your name says Abram. It should be Abraham. Yeah, that's going to be a bit tough to tell people when they call me Abram. Excuse me, it's Abraham. Everybody got to stop and tell me name change. It's the most annoying thing after 99 years to change your name. But the funny thing is, after he changed his name, it was exactly three months and Sarah was pregnant. I wonder if he had changed his name from the beginning if it wouldn't have been a lot faster and it would be no Ishmael. I wonder if we can just say it the way God says it, that we'll avoid having all the other stuff in between, the Ishmaels, the, the mistakes we make. If we can just start speaking what God says. It seems to me when you want to walk in faith, you've got to say it right. They'll think you're crazy because you can say, well, I'm blessed, I'm father of plenty, call me father of plenty. You haven't got any kids, dude. You might look like an idiot. You've got to say it the way God says it, because that's where faith is. When you really walk in faith, you'll start saying things the way God says it. It'll come out of your mouth, you'll be talking right, because your words are powerful. You are made in his image, and God said that there'd be light. You have no idea how powerful words really are. The older you get, the more you realize that words change everything. Everything. Change everything. You are today a product of words that weren't said or were said as a kid. You've been impressed by words, but you can have faith. Whatever God has for you, you can have it. There's no, if that woman who wasn't even a believer could have a miracle, why can't you? You are his child. You are really his children. You are entitled. You are the kids. The bread belongs to you. You just letting a dog got the bread. You don't want the dog to get your bread. You want to, you want to have your bread yourself. Come on now. Whatever you believe in God for, don't aim small, don't aim, don't aim light. God owns it all. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills, he, and all that's under the hills. He's rich, he's powerful. Aim, aim for high, aim for big. You know, don't aim for the bottom because it's already taken. You want to aim for the top. The bottom's already overfilled. There's too many at the bottom already. Let's aim for the top. What do you think? 
it was easy to go for the top, then they'd all be doing it. So we're going to aim for the top, for the best, and God's plan. Get a hold of God's word and ask him to give you a vision, and you go after that and start speaking it, no matter how crazy it might sound. Speak that business. Six kids and forget the selling oxygen. <laughs> That's why Jews have got big noses. They've got their own supply. It's all free. They're not buying oxygen. We just get it free out of the air. God had to make Gentiles because somebody had to pay retail, right? <laughs> Jews are a breed all by themselves. You never have a conversation with a Jew. They don't talk straight. They talk in riddles. So you say, how are you? You should ask me how I am. <laughs> But you've been so sick, you see. You've been here so long. You were sick last time. I'm talking to you, am I not? <laughs> you just can't get a decent answer out of it. No conversation. How's business? Hey, business, business. Hey, business. That's how I become. I should be so lucky. I should be so fortunate. Working all day. My old man working. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. <laughs> Grew up that way. Jews, Jews, Jews. All right. So, I hope I encourage in your faith tonight. Please have faith. Have faith. Have faith in God. Because God responds to faith. He responds. God responds to your faith. He does respond. Not to your goodness. Righteous. Righteousness we receive by faith. Through Jesus, right? There's another kind of righteousness, though. It's called imputed. Righteousness accredited to your account. Abram was righteous because of his faith. Rahab was righteous because of what she did. Ah. That's a mind boggler. You became righteous. And so you as a child of God, you're righteous because of what Jesus did, but if you want to become more righteous, you start living a life where you make better choices, where you put God's purpose and will always first, and you make choices the way God wants you to, and you become, how it works is that Jesus said, if you receive a righteous man as a righteous man, you're a righteous man's reward, which is a fervent prayer of a righteous man has great power. Well, when you need a Power prayer answered. You don't ask the idiot in church that's always up and down and messed up and doesn't live straight. You look for someone that's really full of God that you know can touch heaven. That's the righteous person that's walking righteously that you know can get answered to prayer in a hurry. Am I right? Yeah. And their faith works because they're walking in right relationship. Every time they get out of order, out of harmony, God gets them back into tune very quickly. And they have faith and confidence that God will answer their prayer. Are you hearing me? God is able and so very willing to do supernatural for you. Yes, indeed. Good God, bad devil. 